Hello leaders, welcome to Captain and the Clown. In this episode, we had the pleasure of talking to Ben Balk, the founder and CEO of Kindicare. Ben is a disruptor who has changed the way people find childcare and jobs in the sector and turning the early learning sector on its head. We discuss how COVID was the catalyst for starting Kindicare and the secrets behind such a quick journey from idea to inception. Later in the podcast, we discuss leadership and decision-making. We also discuss the challenges of a startup and insights into where recruitment goes wrong and much more on leadership. We'd love your feedback on our first interview episode. Enjoy. Why did it count backwards? I know that we're now recording. <laughs> what? Hello, Captain. Oh, what do I Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly. What are we going to talk about? I don't know. So, leadership, life, and everything else. Yeah. Ben Bok, uh, CEO and founder of Kindicare. So, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys, for having me. Our pleasure. Um, so, we'd love to hear how Kindicare started. Give, give our listeners a, a background to it. Yeah, so the, the story of how Kindicare started really came out of a, a market need or problem we experienced as a family ourselves. So, um, you know, we've got two young daughters. We went through the childcare journey and I watched my wife going through it, my wife, Jelini, and, you know, she held a spreadsheet of, you know, the six centres we'd applied to, what their ratings were, phone numbers, because we needed to constantly chase them to, to try and see, you know, whether we had a place or where we were at on the wait list um, because she was going back to work. And it, it just seemed a completely out outdated and inefficient way to actually find things, particularly when people are used to sophisticated marketplaces for everything from real estate to booking a hotel. Um, there just doesn't seem to be that level of technology in the um, education and care markets, which is why we just started to build Kindicare. Wow. Jelani sounds very smart. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was, it was certainly her idea. And, you know, a big part of how Kindicare started, I'd been researching the, the market for a while and originally I was looking at the opportunities on the more the business side and the childcare management software space. But when I came back to look at the market again when COVID hit, um, you know, I, I had a successful consulting business that, you know, largely was focused on mergers and acquisitions and strategy consulting. And of course, with COVID, all of the work sort of dried up very quickly. And so after six weeks of twiddling my thumbs, you know, I, I re-looked at the kin idea behind Kindicare um, and the issues and just started building the business. You said you were in mergers and acquisitions, but coming up with this idea doesn't just come, not everyone can do it. So what is your background that you were able to develop this product? And your, do you have a, a, a lot of IT knowledge? Like what's your experience prior to this? Yeah, so I've always been working for technology companies in product sales and marketing roles. So, I mean, I had experience in building largely B2B products. And so Kindicare is the first business that I've pursued that is, you know, a two-sided marketplace where you're dealing with a B2C audience and a consumer audience as well. Um, so, you know, my background, I guess, in product and looking at things from a market problem point of view and just pragmatically, how do you solve that and make that a better journey? But, you know, 
unlike, I guess, you know, some other elements of the market or some marketplaces where I feel that they sometimes get it wrong is you have to treat the customer on each side equally. So it doesn't matter if the consumer is not the one paying the bill and it's the business side that actually pays for it. You've got to ensure that the experience is a great experience for both sides. Mm. So you're, you're a leader because you're the CEO of, of the company that you founded. Were you a leader, a leader in your previous roles? Yeah, I've, I've held senior leadership roles. Um, you know, before I started my consulting company, I, he- I held, you know, product sales and marketing senior leadership roles in, you know, everything from private equity owned businesses to ASX 100 or 200 listed businesses. Um, so, you know, of course, in, in those sort of roles, you are leading large teams of, of people. Hmm. So how does it differ leading in an organization where it's a job and leading when you're a founder? So, well, it's more personal when you're a founder because it's not just a job. I mean, it's, I mean, when you face adversity, when you're a leader within a corporate environment, you know, there's a lot more support you can draw on within an organization. But at the end of the day, you know, if you go home and the task doesn't get done or you've lost one particular person, it's not as critical as what it is in a startup environment where every decision kind of matters. Um, and, and leadership's also, I think, very different because, Rather than taking on the leadership style or the culture of the organization, which you kind of almost get forced to adapt to in a way and sometimes operate differently to what you naturally would as a human, being a founder and CEO of my own business, I run the business like I am as a person. You know, so it feels much more natural then and I can lead in the style that works for me and then, you know, engage people and and have people in the business who are willing to work with that style. So did you find you, you, you felt constrained when you were a leader in an organisation compared to your own business? Absolutely, because you're often getting second guess, you know, what you think might be the right decision. And it's not to say that it will always be, you know, the right decision. Um, but, you know, at least you make a decision you feel is right based on your judgment. And if you've got people second guessing that in another environment or if there's other political agendas at play, particularly in large corporates, you know, you can often be left not being able to lead or do what you want as a business leader within the organization or within your remit because of the constraints of the organization itself. So without those constraints and it's your own baby, is there a process or methodology you use for decision making? So I'm a very data-driven person. Um, So, you know, and Within KindyCare, we've built a lot of capability to um, capture data and understand user behaviour, to understand, you know, the actual customer journey on both sides, to understand what's important. So, you know, we might have a hypothesis as a business or I might have a hypothesis from a product point of view about what I think will work or what's the right market or the right pivot to go after as we chase product market fit. Um, but ultimately, you know, you use data to make that decision. So even if we decide to create a new function as an example, We'll build it and we'll put it to market, but we'll actually measure the success of it to understand whether that was actually a meaningful feature or not. And that's how you make sure that the platform or the, the business doesn't become bloated with technology that's not relevant. You know, you've got to own your mistakes and go, well, that was a good idea, but it's not working or it's not used for whatever reasons. And if it's not used, you know, retire it off and move on. So you can be more agile. You can be definitely more agile. And, you know, with being in a startup environment, being my business, I mean, you know, you always take calculated risks in any role, whether you're in a corporate environment or whether you're running your own business. But, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, a program governance committee around capital or approval processes or, you know, from offshore or even onshore within an organization. I can assess the risk knowing everything I do about the business and make the right call at the right time based on the data I've got at hand. If you get new data in the future that shows that that decision was wrong for any reason, 
at least you haven't had a period of indecision and you don't have that, you know, two or three month lag in some cases to, to do what you want to try and actually see if it works. And so there's a lot of resources wasted in larger organizations just with trying to get stakeholders on board and trying to build engagement or trying to build consensus instead of someone actually just making the call based on the information. Decision-making in a large business is complex because of the size of organisations. You know, the reason that startups and, and come into a sector and often disrupt it is because of one thing that's very common in organisations is, you know, I guess beliefs that, that end up developing. So people will make an assumption in an organisation and particularly if they're in a leadership position, even if it's not founded in fact or proven, it gets repeated enough times that that assumption actually drives the business and any new people coming into the organisation are led to believe that's the way or this is the way a market is because of X or Y. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and depending on how well people within an organisation are open to new ideas or to being challenged depending on the culture, that can really affect where the business ends up long term. So you might not see the impacts in the next 12 months, but you know, in three or five years' time, an organisation could lose a lot of market share because they didn't see what was right in front of them or actually get the empirical evidence um, for the decision-making that they're doing. So being not from industry, not from that sector, has actually given you a leg up because you can see the issues from the outside without the bias. That, that's right. So, you know, when, when we came into the childcare sector, we spoke to a lot of early learning providers. We looked at all the feedback from parents and as parents ourselves, understanding the journey that we went through to look at, well, how do you make this a better experience? But given the lack of, you know, education technology and, and um, technology that exists in, you know, care and education uh, industries globally, you know, you don't look then within the industry at what the competitors in the industry who are already underserving the market are doing. You look at what other organisations are doing. So, for example, you know, one of the key differences with the Kindicare app compared to other search platforms out there is that we don't just start with suburban postcode and that's the start of your entire search experience. We built the ability to search by brand, by centre name, by keyword. So there's lots of different paths for people to find their results. But we also looked at things like, for example, Uber Eats, where I could be anywhere in the world that has Uber Eats as, you know, operating and sitting in a hotel at 11 o'clock at night and see all of my food options by major brands, by types of cuisine, everything contextualized immediately for me around, you know, that particular area. And, you know, someone searching for childcare for the first time doesn't know what quality looks like, where they should be looking, what the types of care available are and what value for money looks like or what they should be paying. So with KindyCare, when they open the app, even before they've done a search, they're shown who are the top brands, what are the best rated ones, what are the ones closest to them, who are the newest services in the area. So they're at least given a, a range of options and can actually be taken through the journey, never having any experience in that sector before. So you're the Uber Eats of childcare? <laughs> I guess so. I like it, I like it. So, so you started out as a searching for childcare and an app that's going to help people do that. But you've pivoted to, to being a portal where people can find jobs in the industry. How do you go from targeting 
one aspect of the industry to then pivoting almost completely to a, a new a new business, I guess. So, so we always saw the gap in the market around you know the existing portals and how people find jobs in a in a specific industry. And a lot of people that work in the childcare sector are obviously going to remain in the childcare sector. So you know they're, they're going to be consistently looking for roles so you in saw this that environment. From the start, from when you started out the app, yeah, we we. Actually, way back to 2018, when I first started looking at the childcare sector, we identified careers as one of the things that could be done um, better. But I guess the real pivot for us and the reason that we started working on this with such vigor was, you know, customers were telling us that leads from parents looking for childcare isn't necessarily a problem at the moment. Their biggest challenge is educators and staff. And the more educators and staff that they have, the more leads they can accept from parents because they've got the ability to, to obviously, you know, fill more uh, vacancies within their centres mm-hmm. because there are very strict um, child-staff ratios in Australia um, for childcare, which is completely appropriate. So, you know, if you're down one educator, that could mean, you know, 10 kids that you can't actually have in your centre because you don't have enough staff. We didn't set out to do kinder care jobs as, you know, here's just a little add-on. We set out to build the best experience we could possibly create um, and invested appropriately to do that and we did it in record time so you know from ideation of the pivot and the decision that we were going to pivot to to jobs as an additional um, capability of the platform and of the marketplace to delivery took four months four months Whereas that would take probably four years in a large organisation. Large organisations that I've worked with previously, you know, you go through a business case round, you've got to wait for a board meeting, you know, it might take you four months just to get approval that, yes, we're happy for you to pursue the idea, let alone actually just get on with it and build it. So we, we talk a lot about leadership in this podcast and a leader is somebody that you choose to follow, a manager is somebody who's been given authority over you. And we talk about the character traits that make somebody the type of person you'd, you'd want to follow. You've no doubt had a lot of great mentors and leaders that you've looked up to. What would you say are the most important characteristics of a leader, somebody that you would be inspired to follow? So, so I think, you know, over your career and as, as you age and obviously go through your path in life, the most important thing is actually finding people at any stage that you can learn something from. So, you know, through through my career, I've had mentors and leaders and colleagues and people that I've learned a lot from. And you might find over time that, you know, your skill base and your experience surpasses people that you've learned from in the past, um, which means, you know, they don't provide the same sort of value from a mentoring or leadership point of view. You kind of outgrow mm-hmm. certain people that you meet through your life. But the most important thing is at each stage of your life, you've got people that you're learning from. You know, the people I've always most respected that I've worked with are ones that are a bit more selfless. I mean, they're, they're driven, um, but, you know, there's there's almost like a higher purpose to what they're doing. So, you know, it's not about the money, for example, or it's not about their position in the organisation and climbing the corporate ladder as being the most important thing. It's about doing the job right to solving problems, being passionate about what they're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um you know, money should really be the byproduct of a job yeah. well done in anything. And I mean, that goes from running a startup, you know, kindy care, who knows where we'll end up. But, you know, if we solve problems well and if we provide value for clients, mm-hmm. you know, the revenue will continue to grow and the business will be valuable. And whether I'm the right person to be running this business in five years or whether it's passing on the baton to someone else or whether it's going after a different market, you never know until till you get there. Um, but integrity is a really important thing and having trust in the person. And that, that, I think, comes back to 
what are their personal motivations? So, you know, I think Paul Keating once said, people always do what's most important to them at any point in time. But the great leaders, yes, they'll be focused on the most important issue, but it's less about them and more about what they're actually trying to achieve. Mm. So you're, you're quite a visionary yourself, uh, considering what you've created in such a short amount of time. And so you've looked up to people who have got a, a purpose, a drive. They're, they're aiming for something and, and they think bigger than their role. They think bigger than themselves. I like that. Yeah. So, and, you know, that sort of comes through in them being a bit more entrepreneurial. They'll be a bit more flexible in decision making within reason. They're willing to accept risk and, you know, make the right decision despite what, you know, blowback or pressure they might get in, in return. So when you, when you right or wrong, when you believe something is the right thing to do, you know, there has to be integrity behind that and you can't fold in the face of opposition. Yeah. And, you know, no person building a startup or no person really helping a company succeed can be the type of person that just backs down at the first opposition to fall into line. So, we, yeah, we love talking about confidence and how a confident leader is somebody who will make the right decision, not the popular decision. Sometimes the popular decision is the right decision, but it's about knowing when, when that is the case, whether you're making the right decision based on principles, based on vision, based on purpose, or are you making the decision based on being liked? Well, I think this is where there's a lot of distrust of political leaders in the current environment you know how much do we see instead of making the right decision for the next 20 years people are making the short-term decision about selling a public asset to get the return to buy a stadium to you know get get the next round of election votes or changing their position from what they believe because it's tested in media or they've had blowback you know right or wrong you have to stand by your convictions and what you're trying to do and if you know you're a political leader and people don't stand behind that and don't see that vision for the country or aren't aligned with you isn't it better rather than to hold on to power mm. um, like we've seen some politicians do not naming any ex-prime minister um, <laughs> than, than actually I, doing I, the right thing. Are you talking about Anita Keating something? <laughs> <laughs> integrity is really important and you know you can't think the population's dumb people see authenticity and they will see through you if it's not a genuine experience so ben what do you consider to be your superpower what's your biggest strength your, le your leadership <laughs> superpower i think the ability to articulate an idea and get people to follow it. And um, I, I'm a product guy. I love... You're an influencer. I, well, hashtag, I I hashtag influencer, then. I don't see myself as an influencer or anything special, to be honest. I mean, I love Lego as a kid. Um, Kindercare just did a Lego competition. That's partly because I love Lego. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was always a builder from a very young age, and I love solving problems. And so, you know, for me, I never knew I'd end up being, I guess, you know, in product development or product management in my career and then end up founding a startup as, to boot. A bipolar startup. A bipolar startup. I mean, <laughs> it is quite a journey that nothing can really prepare you for. But, you know, there's just that, that drive in me to solve problems and do it in an elegant way. And I can't describe it any other way than that. That's how my mind works. Mm -hmm. And I just feel I'm a natural on creating products that work for the market. So people who are out there thinking about starting their own business, founding, what, 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 what advice? Think again. Think again. Yeah, yeah, think again. <laughs> Keep your life. Like, so what, what, lessons, what lessons would you give to people who are thinking about starting their own business? Um, it's not glamorous. It's not glamorous. Um, so, you know, I think people look at startups or they see a business that's been successful and, you know, typically it's a overnight success 10 years in the making. Um, you know, the journey of building a business is is 
hard. I mean, it's it's incredibly hard, and from a from a, it's just all consuming. So, I mean, look, I've had you know senior corporate roles with you know serious pressure um, behind it, but nothing compares to to building a startup where you're responsible for for every aspect of it and it's your baby because it's so personal but at the same time you know it requires every ounce of energy and focus so you know the first thing i'd say to people is you know be prepared for the sacrifices that will come you know you will lose friendships you will see the worst version of yourself and the best version of yourself through the process um it will become addictive and all-consuming and if the business doesn't come first over everything else, health, family, recreation time, you name it, you won't succeed. And I know that sounds horrible, but it's what it really takes. You know, there's no idea of I can clock off at six o'clock or maybe nine o'clock's a long night. You know, if you have to be up till three o'clock in the morning, six days in a row to get a product released or, you know, because you've got media attention on you and you have to respond, you know, at, at a moment's notice, despite what your other plans are, you end up doing everything. So you've been going at a cracking pace for some time now. What are you doing to look after yourself? Because if it's like the old adage when you're on a plane, Michelle, I'm sure, knows this very well, that if you don't put your gas mask or your oxygen, oxygen. Ga- <laughs> gas mask... <laughs> yes, uh, yes. <laughs> it, it does, it does, yes. <laughs> yeah, put, put your oxygen mask on first, you can't help anyone else. So what are you doing to help yourself so that you can continue this hectic pace? Um you know, the hard thing is when you know you need a break or when you know you've hit the wall, you've often got no choice. Mm. So, you know, it's a bit like having kids in a way. You know, if your kids are sick and it's four in the morning and they're vomiting and you need to get up and you're exhausted, you have no choice. So yeah. it's that kind of thing. Whereas if you're in a job, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You might lose your job. It's very different if it's your business and, yeah. you know, you've got critical deliverables. So, I mean, as much as possible, I try and talk with um, with advisors, with friends and, and, you know, have conversations about, um, you know, issues that we might be facing on a, on a, I might be facing on a personal or a business level. So you've got a group of leaders that you reach out to. Well, group group of mentors, a group of people that have been through similar situations, or friends that I've known for a long time to keep to keep a bit grounded. Um, but you know, getting getting exercise where you can. I try as much as possible to do you know a ten k walk every day. Well, that, um, that's to clear that's my head. Sig- that's significant. Much much to my my wife's annoyance. Sometimes that's you know one o'clock in the morning, and okay. she's worried worried about me walking on the street. And I have been pulled up by the police a couple of times yeah. while in winter whilst wearing a hoodie, wondering what I'm doing out at that time of the morning. <laughs> So I'm I'm going off um, a bit what Guy was saying about how you're taking care of yourself. How is your work-life balance going? And how are you ensuring that there is some balance and it's not tipping way too much the other way? Look, you know, one of the things that I have to do, I, I have a diary booking on a Friday night to make sure that it's um, family dinner and movie night with my girls. Um, you know, whilst it's hard to get work-life balance, at least with, you know, working from a home office and our staff is 100% remote. Every, everyone works from wherever is most convenient. It's 100% flexible working. So what that does afford me is, yes, I might be working till three o'clock in the morning, but I can do the pick up and drop off of the kids, you know, make sure I spend time. I try... At, and cook the girls' dinner. So I'm the only cook in the house. My, my wife is good at so many things, but uh, other than two-minute noodles, there's not much in the cooking department <laughs> that she, she can really do. So, But, you know, that's important for me because I love food and, you know, being able to cook a meal for the kids and watch them enjoy that, you know, then they have bath time, etc. And once they've hit the sack, I'm back off to work for another few hours or as long as it takes. So, 
you know, I have no work-life balance. I don't think it's fair to call it that way. And I don't think any founder of a startup would would say that they've got work-life balance. But I think you try and make it work. And I'm very lucky that I have an incredibly supportive wife who picks up and shoulders a load, even though she has a, a, a you know, high-profile corporate job. Um, you know, she picks up the load knowing where I'm at with the business and the effort that I need to put into it. So does Jelini, uh, do you check in with Jelini as far as because you know, it was basically her problem that you came up with a solution or you both came up with a solution. Do you check in with her often or, or um, you know, occasionally about how the, the market solution is going and, and how she is as a parent, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and, and how she is as a consumer, basically, although your girls are older now, um, to how, how it fits in with the vision? Yeah, so so Jelini gets involved with ideas around the business, but not involved on a day-to-day basis. I mean, she came up with the original problem set, but I guess just like all things, our business are now scaled to a point where we've got so many inputs coming in from parents. And, you know, there's 85,000 people that have installed the KindyCare app since we launched. We have 100,000 sessions a month between app and website of families who are looking for early learning services. So we have a big pool of people to ask, as well as a huge wealth of data around what products and services and features and functions are being used on our platform. So, you know, where, where Jelini's input often comes in is just the, the gut feel of how do I feel about a certain thing as a mum. I want to go back to your 10-kilometre walk in the mornings. Uh, do you find, because that's a, that's a fair amount of uh, meterage that you're, you're covering, no doubt, unless you're an Olympic walker and you do it in a short amount of time. Um, do you find that that is the, the time of day when most of your insights come to you, your ideas, or do you find it a way of just turning off? Yeah, look, I try and do phone calls on the walk because okay. I think I think better while I'm moving yeah. and so much of my time is spent at the desk because yeah. of the nature of, you know, our business. So, you know, conversations are much better done when I'm walking and I've probably, you know just completely killed the floorboards in our home office because I'll pace backwards and forwards when I'm on the phone. So, I mean, if I'm going to go for a walk, I I try and do a decent walk. So it's a good time to either, you know, if it's the middle of the night and I'm doing a late night walk, it's a good time to reflect and think or just decompress, you know, listen to some music, Mm -hmm. you know, just do something and be out and have some fresh air and move. Um, If it's early in the day, yeah, I'll usually be on the phone to either advisors or investors or, you know, people that I need to speak to, even customers in some cases, and I'll let them know I'm huffing and puffing up a hill that I'm out walking um, so that, that they're aware. But when I ran my consulting business, I found that, you know, the most efficient use of time. So I can get exercise at the same time as I'm still working. Mm. I, I don't use the term work-life balance myself. I actually deplore it. I, th- I think it's, a, it's, it's the wrong term because what it does is it implies that your life stops when you go to work. I see work as a part of life and it, it's going to just integrate uh, the two. It's, it's a part of life if you love what you do. And do you love and, what you do? And I love what I do there every day, like despite yeah. the challenges. I mean, I believe in what we're doing and I absolutely love what I do. Mm. Um, so, you know, and again, it goes to that, there's a there's a greater driver. I mean, I could have taken a you know corporate roles earning a lot more money with a lot less stress and pressure, but it's not about that. So, you know, for, for me, it's you know solving the problem and driving it and being able to to build something that's truly mine. Um, so, you know, but I, I saw a post on LinkedIn. I think it was actually this morning around you know 
people that stay extra hours or work through the night to get something done or achieve a task, that shouldn't be worn as a badge of honor. You know, you need work-life balance. And I, I don't subscribe to that view at all. I mean, I understand if you're an employee and are you being rewarded appropriately for, for that, but I think it comes from a, a greater driver. I mean, if you love what you do, even if you're an employee, you'll go the extra mile because you believe in what you're doing and you want to succeed and you want to see it done. Oh, we definitely subscribe to that, that, you know, it's the thing that gets you up early in the morning, a couple of hours before most people wake up. It's the thing that keeps you going late at night and, and yeah, it drives you. It's definitely a passion. You know, there's plenty of people that will do whatever for a buck um, and I'm not one of those people. So, you know, when I look to people that I feel I can learn from or I see as, you know, people I'd look up to or mentors, they've, they've typically had that trait. And then, as you said before, when you go past them, you've learned everything. And a great leader should inspire those that they lead to become better than themselves. That's ultimately the role of a leader. Absolutely. So, and this comes back to your point, Guy, around confidence. So if someone's confident, they're not worried about hiring someone that's more capable than them. Like if I was going out tomorrow to hire a chief data officer for the organization, I would want someone who's more capable than me that could bring new ideas that could challenge what we've done and do it better. Because why would you get someone that was less than? Yeah. I mean, you're just going to get, to you know, exactly the same, to make yourself feel superior. Yeah. There is no point to that. No, exactly. You, you always want to surround yourself with people that you could see succeeding better. And I mean, if we're, you know, I'm 43 now, you know, I've, so I've, still, yeah, so so I've still got, you know, so a ways to go in my career. But, you know, if I was looking at someone that I'm employing to be in, who's younger than me or even older than me, you still want them to be better. Yeah. You want them to be better at what they do than what you are. And, and Henry Ford is very famous, for, and I hope it's true because it's on the internet, so it's got to be true. <laughs> uh, Henry, Henry Ford is, is famous for saying, I wasn't a brilliant man, but I surrounded myself with them. So you obviously subscribe to the same model that you surround yourself with people who have got... Yeah, no one's got all the answers. No. And so, you know, and the, the other trait I think of a good leader is someone that you can actually listen and talk to. I mean, I'd say to my team members... You know, I'll sometimes have very fixed views and I'm always happy to be challenged, but, you know, you've got to have some some backup or some proof or some reasoning behind what you're challenging me with. Yeah. And I'm always open because, you know, if if we take an idea and someone's got a better one, then it creates a better product and it creates a better experience for our customers on both sides of the marketplace. So why would you not want that? You know, no one contains all the innovation in their head. Yeah. No one's got all of the answers. And so you need a strong and capable team around you and you want people that can challenge you. Well, I, I think we've learned a lot about leadership today, but I'd like to throw one, one more question. Is there anything else, any advice you could give to leaders out there? You've now 43 years. Um, you, so probably, Yeah, probably at the start of your leadership <laughs> career considering, um, you know, you've just founded your own company and, and the... the, the headway that you've made in such a very short amount of time what what's one lesson you can leave our, our leaders that are listening oh lesson um trust your people yeah you know hire the right people with the right motivations from you personally in hiring them and then trust them to do the job simple love it so ben not many people know or no one would know that i am actually an employee of you <laughs> and you took a risk <laughs> hiring an ex-airline captain, a retired airline captain, uh, into an IT startup business. So um, why? <laughs> <laughs> I ask myself that so, so many times. <laughs> Look, actually, again, it's one of these hypotheses. You know, I, I looked at people that were being affected by COVID 
um, that were going to be displaced as a result. So highly qualified, highly capable people, you know, with good technical skills, with good management skills. But again, why? (laughs) (laughs) So I just, you know, people have, like, I didn't, I, I guess from, you know, my lens has changed a bit over the years. And so, you know, Australia tends to have this, how do I put it, this precedent-based recruitment. So you can't get a job easily as a chief technology officer unless you've previously held the title of a chief technology officer. It doesn't seem to matter what you really achieved. It's how well you spin it in the interview and do you have that title on your resume. Mm. So, you know, people are less hired on their outcomes and skills and capabilities than what they are on what's on the resume and how well they can actually position themselves in an interview. So, you know, I didn't come from the childcare industry. Um, but I've worked across a number of different sectors in my life, whether it be enterprise resource planning, software in, you know, um, hard goods in, in consumables through to, you know, information technology companies like Equifax and Experian, et cetera. And, you know, you sort of learn that it's the skills that you have as a person that can translate across industries that are most valuable. So when I looked at, you know, Michelle, you coming from an aviation background, I went, you know, uh, uh, one of the few female captains in your industry um, flying, you know, aircraft in a high pressure job with simulations and everything else you have to go through, particularly being a female in a male dominated industry. I went, well, she's got to be capable and handle a lot of things. And being in a startup environment because you were employee number one, um, you know, you have to be prepared to work across a whole range of areas. Whereas people that are used to being in a, a role, you know, in a business, they're usually in a box mm. with a particular scope of work. And, and that's you, not what startup is like. And do you find they come in with a lot of cognitive bias, which means that they're always going to continue to do things the way and think the way they've always thought. But in a startup, you need to be a lot more agile, a, little, a lot more open to lots of ideas. Do you find that's the case? Well, if you, I think regardless of the willingness of the, of the person to try and help out, you know, depending on their, their personal character, if you've been in a role in a larger organization, there's still this bit of that's not my job or that's yeah. not my area or that's someone else. And there's no such thing when you're building a business from the ground up, you know. And even for me personally, I'm hands on tools. You know, if I have to curate 80,000 lines of data to do our next pricing load and I'm up, you know, till five in the morning doing it, it's me sitting there doing it because there's no one else to rely on. You can't just say that's not my problem. The job needs to be done no matter what. And you have to do whatever it takes. So you kind of lose that, you know, position of, well, that's beneath me or, you know, I'm this senior and I shouldn't have to do that. You know, it's all hands on deck. So you want to work with people that fundamentally, firstly, have that character trait of I'm willing to do whatever it needs to be done for the business to be successful. Mm. And so how can people find more information about Kindicare? Uh, really easy. Go to kindycare.com or go to either uh, Google Play Store or Apple App Store and search for Kindycare or Childcare and download the Kindycare app. So if you're searching for childcare for your young children or if you're looking for a job in the industry. And you want the best experience. <laughs> go to Kindycare. <laughs> go to Kindycare. <laughs> and uh, Benjamin Bulk, thank you so much for your time thank today. Thank you. You're welcome. So Michelle, where can they find us? captainandtheclown.com where you'll find links to our websites for keynote speaking and corporate training yes that's captainandtheclown.com <laughs> well that was fun that was fun <laughs> you're the, such a clown the clown captain. <laughs> lady captain <laughs> and who's going to listen to this maybe our mums thanks mum